Welcome to this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And today we're going to discuss the topic of mindfulness as it relates to tennis and tennis performance within sports psychology. Um, and I think a good place to start would just be to discuss this topic broadly, how we view mindfulness and some of its benefits, how this can be trained um, with tennis players, both on court and off court. Um, and then lastly, talking about some of our own personal experiences as it relates to this topic, how we got became interested in this topic and kind of go from there. Um, so the way that I start to view mindfulness um, is simply through awareness, um, becoming aware of the present moment, aware of everything going on around us and within us. So I think of that as being aware of our environment, um, noticing the details of, you know, maybe it's the temperature around, maybe it's a smell, trying to really get um, honed in into our five senses and and thinking about really what is going on that surrounds us in in this very moment. And then the second piece is what's going on within us. Those, what thoughts are we experiencing right now? Are we thinking about something that happened in the past, being maybe upset about something from the past? Are we worried about or consumed with what might happen in the future? Um, So to me, the way I start to break down this topic of mindfulness is just this awareness piece and really that, that um, being aware of, of everything that's going on in this moment, whether that be something within us, like a bodily sensation, like a thought um, or, um, or what's going on outside of us. Um, Brian, how do you, how do you start to uh, think about this topic? Well, I think to build upon what you said, Josh, you know, especially with real, you know, respect to awareness and the noticing of thoughts and, and feelings, uh, what's going on through your mind. I think what we're trying to do there is is to cultivate the noticing, yep. really develop almost what we call the watcher. So in a way, separating the thoughts and emotions from who you are and almost be like stepping back, uh, you know, in a sense and looking at, oh, hey, look. I'm thinking about this or, Hey, I was distracted by that and not being attached to it. And I think then, then that has its own benefit when you get onto the court, right? Because you're now developing a sense of not being attached to certain things. Um, and so, you know, as I do meditation, I'm some, sometimes fascinated by what comes up. Um, because, you know, we don't really control those initial thoughts, I mean, I, when I meditate at times and I'm starting to think about like a TV show I watched last night, I don't know where that came from, but it's very interesting that my mind went there, yep. you know, or, or my mind might go to something I have to do in a few minutes or later today or tomorrow. Um, and I just, you know, I think that's one of the keys here is to detach ourselves from those thoughts and emotions and just notice them. What are they? Um, and they can often be good things to just jot down and see if you're seeing any patterns of the things that you notice while you're doing that. So I think that is a, a one aspect of awareness I think is really important, you know, as we talk about um, how this can apply to tennis players, because sometimes we get a little too um, attached to outcomes or, uh, you know, certain things that, that we do or feel on the tennis court. Yeah, I think I think you you bring up a good point in terms of not not 
taking ownership or not taking these things that we notice personally um, and not sort of viewing that, okay, if I'm feeling, oh, hey, I noticed that my heart is really beating pretty fast right now. I'm feeling a little nervous or anxious about what's going on. You don't have to attach ownership over that and say that I am anxious that, you know, that's who I am. No, I I'm noticing that I'm feeling, you know, a certain sense of anxiousness right now, or I notice that my, my thoughts keep going back to what happened yesterday. That's, that's interesting. Why, why might that be? And um, viewing it in terms of curiosity rather than almost defensiveness and ownership and really taking, making that a part of your identity, I think um, is, is, is very important. Um, because I think when, when you can detach from it, as, as you said, being able to detach from these things that we notice, you're able to notice a lot more because you're not sort of blocked from, from viewing them, from noticing them. And you can just sort of take them in and see, see things more or less as they are, as, as they come about. So I think that's, that's definitely an important piece. Yeah. And I think, you know, you begin to realize that some of these thoughts and feelings are not facts necessarily. It's just how we're experiencing the world like you said it's not i it's not that i i am anxious i'm feeling some anxiety that there's a difference yep. there and i think and, and maybe you were going to go here next but i think that then this begins to help us cultivate a sense of non-judgment or becoming at least less judgmental and to me that's a really important skill for a tennis player because the sport, the scoring system inherently tricks you into being judgmental, um, especially about points. Even though you know we know that points are are not the end all be all of of what we do in tennis, right? They are more or less a means to an end. You know, you you have to win points to win games. You have to win games to win sets. You have to win sets to win win matches. But we often get really judgmental at that point level. So I, I think, you know, when we start to talk about being more mindful, we can start to develop this sense of non-judgment or being or being less judgmental because we're not attaching it to ourselves. Um, I think we're also maybe getting a better perspective on, you know, what what this really is, you know, is a point really a big deal or is it just sort of a neutral data point that, you know, we just need to understand. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think what what mindfulness can do is to bring us away from that ownership and that sort of fixating on the last point. So if we lost that last point, does that make us a loser? Does that make us a horrible tennis player just because we missed the last backhand into the net? Does that mean we have a horrible backhand? Um, Or is this, as you said, that one data point, um, that one most recent data point. And this is a part of the broader picture and sort of having that broader perspective that, hey, there will be shots that I miss. Um, this is just the most recent point. And let's let's uh, have that clarity to be able to move on to the next point and, um, and, and the rest of the match. Um, so I think that um, awareness uh, really, really plays a big, a big part in tennis because it, it helps us to detach from, um, you know, the, the importance of any single point and particularly the most recent point, and be able to see, as you said, points as a means to an end, and points as just a, a smaller piece to the the ultimate puzzle. And I think 
you know, an added benefit of being mindful, whether we're talking about meditation or something like mindful walking, uh, mindful sitting, is um, we're cultivating the skill of choosing to focus on something. And that's, again, another important aspect of being a tennis player is being able to, you know, have the mental discipline to choose to focus on what's important. You know, if we go back to Jorge Capistani, I think it was episode five, um, what's important now? It's actually a great mindful question. Um, and through some mindfulness training, cultivation of this skill, you become better at choosing what you want to focus on, choosing to understand what's important in this moment. And, uh, you know, so I, th- I see those as, you know, a couple of huge, very basic benefits of being more mindful is that idea of detachment, non-judgment, as well as developing that mental discipline that allows you to choose what you want to think about. Even if, if you think about a, a way that this might happen in, in say, a meditation, um, during, say, a five or 10-minute meditation, your mind will wander from time to time. Maybe it'll wander a lot. Um, but it's that moment that you notice that it wandered. And then you brought it back to your breath or whatever it is that you you know, you know did. And uh, there's a meditation teacher, uh, Sharon Salzberg. She calls this the magic moment. The moment that you noticed it and then you redirected your attention. That is like doing a mental push-up. Yep. You have exercised some mental discipline there. So... In essence, our mind wandering is not a bad thing, right? So non-judgment, it actually gives you an opportunity to exercise some mental discipline, to do a mental push-up or mental rep for yourself so that you can get better and better at choosing your thoughts. I think, I think, that's, a, I think that's a great point. I think uh, one, one experience I've had with uh, you know, working with athletes is talking about meditation and maybe we'll do a, a short five, 10 minute meditation, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. Okay. So how, how was that? How did that go? What did, what did you notice? And what I've heard from, from people maybe that are newer to it or, or, you know, more um, people that have been doing it a little bit longer, more seasoned is, oh, you know, it didn't go so well. I was distracted. Um, A lot of, much of that 10 minutes I was thinking about, you know, I had my eyes wide open. I wasn't doing it at all. And then I would go back to it for a little bit and, uh, and then we'd, we'd have the conversation that, hey, that, that is part of the process. There will be days that, you, that it's easier. There will be days that it's harder. But part of this whole process is, as you said, and as, as Sharon Salzberg says, that, that act of constantly going from being distracted and thinking about whatever to coming back into the present moment time and time and time again. And it is a skill that, that ultimately does get easier through, through training, through meditation, through some of these other activities, mindful walking, mindful eating as well as another, another one. Um, but through training, we're able to notice the present moment more. We're able to be more mindful. Um, but especially as you're getting started with this um, and really at any time, not judging the fact that you are distracted, um, not judging the fact that you have to go from, you know, being lost in thought to coming back into the present moment through the breath. Um, but just simply accepting that that is part of the meditation process that even is 
to, to some extent what meditation is that it's that coming back into the present moment time and time again. So um, that's uh, that to me, that's, that's a really important point. Yeah. And it's not like, and I think your point here was the athlete who maybe explains that he or she was wandering the whole time, right? The point isn't to be great at meditation. There is no meditation world championship where somebody's like monitored to say, oh, that person wasn't distracted at all. You know, that's not what it is. It's a practice, as you said, Josh, right? And the idea is that we practice it over and over. There may be days where it goes really well, right? You feel like you're really focused. And there may be other days where you're terribly distracted. It's fine. It's totally, it's, it's normal. There's a, uh, an analogy I, I want to use here from one of Ryan Holiday's books. He writes a lot about Stoic philosophy, um, things like that. I believe this is from Ego is the Enemy. And he talks about um, you know, meditation or, or thinking in a, in a Stoic way as something you have to do as a daily practice. So his, his analogy is you know, if you have a kitchen, you have a kitchen floor – you don't sweep the kitchen once in your life and say it's clean forever. <laughs> you have to essentially sweep the floor daily. And that's how it goes with something like mindfulness or meditation or, or whatever practices that we're talking about. It's not necessarily that you have to be great at it. You just have to repeat it day after day after day, similar to brushing your teeth or flossing your teeth not like you're trying to be great at that necessarily, but you have to do it as part of your daily sort of hygiene. And this could be really daily mental hygiene. Um, and you just practice it over and over again. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely important. I mean, one, one thing I would say, um, and I've experienced this um, personally, as, as well as with people I've worked with, as well as, you know, friends just discussing this topic is that that is doing it consistently? I, th- I think can be can be challenging for whatever reason. I um, I've had endless conversations where people say, you know, I I've done it in the past. It was great. I you know really felt a lot of benefits, but for whatever reason, I I haven't managed to do it consistently. I, I can't do it, you know, every day. You know, I, I want to be doing it every day. Um, or, you know, I want to be doing it on a consistent basis, but it's it's tough to make that part of the routine. Uh, you so, know, I read- yes. so what would have been the sources of resistance there, Josh? What have been the barriers for those people in general? Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, I, 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 I don't I, I don't know. Actually, I, I would say it's, it's one of the things I've I've you know thought a lot about in terms of why. Why is it tough to build something into your routine that you know takes 10 minutes or you know, more or less um, that where, where you see these these benefits? I mean, I think, um, you know. For some people, they, they simply feel like they're too busy to be able to stop with whatever they're doing for, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes and just simply stop and breathe and try to, you know, be aware of, of what's going on around them. They've, they feel like that is somehow wasted time. Yeah, um, yeah. And I get that. I mean, in 2021, people have a lot going on, a lot on their plates between, you know, global pandemic and everything else in their lives. Um so I, I think people feeling like they're too busy is is one piece of it. I think another piece is people almost not not being afraid, but almost not necessarily wanting to feel vulnerable enough to 
notice all of these thoughts and maybe they're very used to just simply acting on them and maybe reacting. And we can talk some more about that, this difference between reacting and responding. Um, but, you know, just simply going about their day-to-day business based on, um, you know, based on the way that they've always done things um, rather than stopping and being able to, to treat these thoughts with curiosity and, and noticing them because maybe there are things that they've put aside for years and maybe they don't want to address. And that noticing of, hmm, why do I keep thinking of that? Maybe that is a little bit of a vulnerable question. Maybe that um, hits, you know, hits home a little bit too hard uh, um, for some. So I think, you know, that not wanting to be vulnerable piece might fit into it as well. Um, so I, 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 the, the, again, these are just thoughts. These, these are just um, sort of a, a couple ideas as to why that might be. But I've just, I've seen it time and time again that, and I've, I've seen it with myself as well, where there are times where I feel like I'm in a great routine, doing it every morning, the same time. Um, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before last summer, my brother and I were in a great routine where every morning um, at around the same time, we'd call each other and uh, one of us would put it on on speakerphone and um, and we'd have a and we'd we'd meditate at the same time and uh, you know the, the same sort of setting um, you utilizing some of these apps that are out there I mean at this point there's just so many whether it's headspace or calm waking up is a great one with Sam Harris um, so uh, no I, I think it's I think it's an interesting question I, I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective as um, if, if you've noticed this as well um, and maybe some ideas for how people can better build this into their routine or their schedule. So it's just part of their day and they don't have to make the time for the meditation process. Yeah. I think many people who are listening may feel some of these barriers and I think it's important to try to, can we lower the barrier to entry into something like mindfulness? And, um, it could be, you know, we could go back to say James Clear and Atomic Habits. Could we just start small, yep. one minute? Yep. Can you breathe for, you know, one minute? Just focus on that, and 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 where can you fit that in? Um, so that that could be something, right? Just begin really with a tiny habit um, that's easy to do, and then you get to decide if you want to expand it more and more, you know, and, and then how that that may fit in. In, into what you do. So I think, you know, looking at the books like, you know, Atomic Habits or The Power of Habit, right? And understanding the habit loop and how habits are created. That's some valuable information. Um, I would say if people want more on that, we can we can certainly provide some more. So, you know, you can email us at, at tennisiqpodcast at, at gmail.com. I think it's also helpful to understand too that mindfulness isn't just about meditation. Um, you can be mindful almost at any time. It's just about almost, in a way, taking yourself out of wherever your mind is and just bringing it to the present moment and, hey, noticing, um, oh, it's warm in here or I'm feeling a little bit of pain in my knee. Uh, might be noticing something else or you just slow things down and savor what's, what's going on around you. That's being mindful. It's you know taking yourself out of wherever you were and bringing yourself into into the present moment. Um, I don't remember which episode we talked about this, but you know, one of the things that our human brains are really good at is time travel. 
whether we go into the past or into the future. And very often our thoughts and emotions are based on that time travel. Yep. Um, and it's in those moments where I can, I just kind of come back and be mindful, you know, like, um, yeah, I have a, a glass of water here. Can I, can I notice myself holding this glass? Can I feel it a little bit more? So just exercising that brief five second, um, you know, feeling and thought brings me right back to it. That's being mindful as well. So we don't want to necessarily say, Hey, it's just about you sitting and meditating for five minutes, two hours, whatever it is. Um, it, it can be done in other ways throughout your day. So just even bringing yourself back to that. moment. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great point. I think, uh, as you said, there are so many chances throughout the day, throughout our lives to notice what's going on, whether it's the temperature, whether it's a feeling that we have, whether it's, as Jeff Greenwald talked about, uh, the ground beneath our feet, um, where constantly or almost constantly standing on the ground. But how often do we actually notice that, that there's that feeling of our the ground beneath our feet? How often when we turn a, a doorknob, how often do we actually feel that or, or notice that, that sensation? Um, and, and back to your other point, I think, um, you know, that we, we do want to be removing the barriers to entry. We don't want to be, as they talk about in Atomic Habits, we don't want to start with this. All right, we're starting with 15 minutes a day. We're starting with 30 minutes a day, every day. Let's go. No, we want to start small. Um, I actually think a good place to start, you see so many people wearing Apple watches these days. Um, and they have a great feature on there, the, the breathe feature, um, which is a one minute meditation or one minute practice, really. I don't, wouldn't necessarily call it meditation, where what it is, is it the, the watch buzzes for, you can change it in the settings for a few seconds, maybe it's five, six, seven seconds, and then it stops. So it tells you when to breathe in and when to breathe out. And it helps you to train that, that type of breathing that we want to utilize that, that slow diaphragmatic breathing in through our nose and out through our mouth as, as we're meditating. But um, it's a nice introduction to this practice because it's, it's one minute, it's, easy. It's, and it it really helps you along with that process with, you know, rather than there being like in some of these apps, a voice saying, you know, feeling breathing in and then slowly releasing the breath. It's, it's telling you, you know, breathe in and breathe out. And it actually buzzes to, to tell you when. Um, So I I think that is a, a nice place to start again, thinking of removing these, these barriers, making it as easy as possible. Um, Other ideas are, you know, thinking of doing it at the same time each day, um, particularly also do trying to do it in the same environment. Maybe it's a certain room of the house. Maybe it's a certain chair you can use that becomes your meditation chair. So you start to associate that environment with the practice itself. Um, I think that can certainly be helpful. That, that also comes from um, Atomic Habits. Um, so I, I, I would agree that, there, that we want to be thinking of ways to make this as easy as possible to start incorporating it. Maybe it's um, thinking of some of the mindful eating or drinking um, facets in terms of, you know, the, the, this tiny little piece of food, this tiny little um, piece of chocolate, um, rather than just wolfing it down and just um, devouring it. Can we, okay, can we notice its texture? Does it have a smell? As we put it in our mouth, do we 
do we notice that it starts to melt? What are some of the um, wh what are some of the things that we notice as it's in our mouth before we before we chew it? Um, but starting to notice these these different things about something as mundane and everyday as uh, taking a bite of food. I think that you know the, these sorts of things are a place to start where maybe if somebody has never done any mindfulness practice or any sort of uh, meditation that it's it's less intimidating or less daunting than let's start by sitting quietly and focusing on our breathing for an extended period of time. Do you have a perspective, Josh, about, um, say, starting with a guided meditation through an app like Calm or Headspace versus jumping right into a breathing sitting meditation? Or do you see it maybe as a progression? How, how have you handled that with some of your clients? Yeah, I see it. I see it as more of a progression. I, I think that um, it is easier to start with a guided meditation, and some people prefer those, and we'll we'll stick to them. Um, and with uh, you know, with some people, it might start with that, and then they'll want to try out different types of meditation. They'll just do it on their own, um, or other sorts of maybe more advanced recordings. Um, the app Waking Up has, I believe, it's like a twenty-eight day process where, you know, the first couple of days they, they start with sort of more basic concepts of um, noticing your breathing. And by the end of it, where they're focused more on um, consciousness itself and being aware of our consciousness and where the mind is going on a moment by moment basis um, and, and utilizing meditation as a way to sort of, as sort of a light into um, into our consciousness and, and to where our mind is. Um, so I, I think, I think there, to, to answer your questions, I think there are different ways. I think guided meditations can be a great place to start as can some of these sort of shorter practices like the breathe function on the Apple watch, like walking meditation where we're noticing, um, the bodily sensations of, of walking. Um, we, we talked about, um, mindful eating as well. So I think, Guided meditations and some of these other shorter, simpler practices are, are a great place to start in terms of building them into our routines. And then um, some people may want to stick with them at this level, at, at that current level, or move on to, to uh, you know, doing things on their own. Um, so I, I think there's, uh, to me, that's, that's generally where I begin. Um, yeah. well, I, I would say the same. I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the apps have free trials, uh, mm -hmm. but, you know, another cost-effective uh, channel you can use is youtube absolutely there are a ton of guided meditations on youtube um, and i've curated a, a bunch of lists that i share with my athletes because i'll often have them do what i call a, a mental workout during the week and it usually starts with a five or ten minute meditation and, and i'll almost always start them off with some of one of the youtube ones and then i'll teach them the the breathing sitting meditation and have them do that as, as sort of the, the beginning of their workout. So, um, yeah, I think that it, uh, the, what I've noticed is that a lot of players end up through that process, liking the breathing meditation better than the guided. They feel like sometimes maybe the, the voice is a little too intrusive. Um, you know, they get a little too focused on the voice. And then it I think they get more out of that breathing set of med meditation, but maybe just to develop the habit. That's a good good start. Josh, would it be good for us to perhaps just switch gears a little bit and talk about how 
mindfulness may have some benefits to various aspects of performance. Absolutely. And I think uh, you bringing up the breath and, uh, you know, this simple aspect of breathing, maybe even without the voice of guided meditation um, is, is really important. I mean, I, I know from my conversations with, with athletes, one of the things that is often more lasting than, um, well, one of the most lasting things about our conversations of, you know, the, the work that we do, um, tends, tends to be the breathing that maybe it's on the tennis court, maybe it's other areas of their life, but they've been able to utilize the breath as a tool um, for maybe when they're feeling nervous about something, maybe when they're feeling distracted, um, to get back into that present moment and to just simply notice what's going on or to maybe calm down in a, in a certain moment. Um, but to be able to, you know, maybe it's a break point and they're feeling um, overwhelmed in that moment. Okay, can we, can we utilize what we've been working on and can we, you know, take a deep breath and almost clear our mind to a certain extent so that we can have a clear intention going into the following point. And maybe, you know, maybe some, an athlete learns this um, and they utilize it well on the tennis court. And then they're, they have five minutes before their midterm starts and they're able to utilize that um, in that same, in in another setting Um, or in the relationships or, you know, when they're in a confrontational situation or or whatever it may be. Um, So I think, um, as we talk about how tennis players and how performers can utilize these skills, I think it's um, important to um, recognize that the breath is, can be used as a tool um, for wherever we are um, to, to get back into the the moment and into the frame of mind that ultimately we want to be in. And I think this is, this is an area where we've got a lot of overlap between say breathing exercises, relaxation training, stress management, mindfulness. um, And really that between point time is almost like a, it can be used as a mini meditation and and getting yourself into, into that, that present moment. And I think the better that we be, we get at being mindful, being the watcher, noticing what's going on, being able to choose our thoughts, um, mindfulness and all these other things can be uh, a great entryway into what we call flow or being in the zone more so Um, because we are more present minded. We've got, we're thinking about the process, you know, or, and, or like you mentioned earlier, Sean Brawley, you know, what's the really important thing that we have to be aware of the ball, right? So we're actually able to really get our brain working I wouldn't say it's necessarily an autopilot. I would say our brain is like at a point of working in a highly efficient manner mm-hmm. so that we don't even have to be using self-talk so much. It's just like it's, it's just so right on. Um, and I think all of these skills, whatever you want to call them, I do think that you know they might fall under an umbrella of being mindful. But you know, if we look at breathing, relaxation training, stress management – all ways of becoming more present-minded uh, can really have some good performance benefits. Um, it can help resu- reduce stress in those moments. It can help us um, regulate our emotions, again, because we're not so attached to things. We're not so judgmental about things. Um, you know, There's a book about uh, mindful uh, performance enhancement in sports 
talks about how actually being more mindful can help you push through pain more so in, in, a, uh, in a competition. So that's certainly important for, for tennis players. Um, you know, sort of outside of, of sport, you know, maybe a lot of us are, tend to ruminate about things. It can certainly help with that and, and understanding maybe what we're – you mentioned this earlier. You know, why am I thinking about that? Why, why am I thinking about that so much? So there's a lot of good, you know, benefits, I think, from a, a sport perspective. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, rather than us sort of replaying these thoughts over and over and over again in our heads, um, simply noticing them and, you know, being able to detach from them um, is, is really important. Or being able to let something go that happened last set. Um, we talked about you know, cheating and dealing with a difficult opponent in, in our most recent episode before this. Um, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's that, that unforced error that we, that we made. Maybe it's that, that shot that we shouldn't have gone for. We went for a tweener on break point. Oh, why did I go for that? I'm so stupid. I can't believe I went for that. Um, some, something like that. And just being able to, to simply notice, notice that thought and, once it's once you're able to notice it, then then you can put it aside. Where if you're not if you're not able to be aware of it, then you're simply going to be acting on it and reacting rather than having the the piece the ability to respond to the moment in the way that we choose. Um, I, I think back to uh, Viktor Frankl and that that famous quote that um, that there is a space. Um, I'm, I'm, this isn't the exact quote, but that there is a space between that stimulus and the response um, and how, and, you know, I, I think mindfulness and I know George Mumford has talked about this as well, um, helps, helps us to have that space, helps us to have that, um, that ability between the stimulus, between whatever just happened um, and, okay, and that reaction that we um, go right to, are we missing the shot and yelling out in anger, or are we missing the shot and pausing for a second, taking that deep breath and saying, okay, let's move on to the next point. Let's go to that in-between routine, in-between points routine we've been working on, and let's move on to the next point. So to me, that's the difference between reacting impulsively and having a response that we choose and mindfulness training in, in whatever form, whether it be um, meditation, whether it be so many other ways that we've, we've referenced, um, help us to, to find that space in between the stimulus and the response. Yeah. And you, you mentioned George Mumford. I don't know if we introduced exactly who he is, but he worked a lot with Phil Jackson when, uh, when he was the coach of the Chicago Bulls and the Los Angeles Lakers. So, you know, he worked with Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, uh, Kobe Bryant on things like meditation. Um, and yeah, the, the, that space between stimulus and action, you know, he says that's where mental toughness lives, you know, and he, mm -hmm. he obviously is building on Frankel's work there. Um, and I, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, and for those who are interested in, you know, um, George Mumford and, and, uh, his work, he's got a really good book that both Josh and I have read, The Mindful Athlete. And I was looking at it earlier today and there was something in there that I thought would be interesting to share because this is also the name of an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary on Bruce Lee, Be Like Water. And uh, what Mumford says is that water is sort of like um, 
sort of the ultimate responder. Water responds, it doesn't react, right? If there's sees a, you know, a rock in the way, it just goes around it, you know, and it keeps moving forward. It doesn't like, oh, shoot, go back or stop, right? So um, there's another quote in there. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it, uh, that Bruce Lee talks about how it's important to be, you know, like the bamboo tree that is, you know, kind of sways with the wind rather than the stiff tree that is more easily broken, right? So it's really hard to break bamboo. Yep. But you can break a stiffer, stiffer tree. So that can even be thought of it in terms of one's thoughts. If you're rigid about certain things, those thoughts can be broken more easily than someone who's flexible in how they think and how they perceive. Again, I think that's reacting versus responding. And I think for tennis players, you know, what is that moment? It's right after a point. That's the, the opportunity to decide whether you're going to react to what just happened or can accept it and then respond to it so that you can continue to move forward like water. Water moves forward. Time moves forward. We, as tennis players, also have to continue to move forward, focusing on our mission of you know trying to win this match. Um, and that's what responding, I think, really does. And I think bringing it back again to mindfulness and meditation, this is how we can cultivate that skill even more so. Absolutely. No, that that's, yeah, I, I think it's important for our listeners. I think it's important for, for everybody to, um, to, to be able to, to start to think in this way of um, how can we respond in the best way? How can we have the presence of mind to respond? And also, um, you know, when you talk about bamboo being um, tougher to break, almost more resilient, um, knowing that we will face adversity, knowing that things will happen um, throughout our lives and on a day-to-day basis, how can we, what is the mindset that we need to cultivate in order to handle and not be broken by these things that we are bound to encounter? Um, I think, you know, I, I would say, uh, mental training and sports psychology in general can help us um, build build upon these skills. But I think mindfulness um, is a big piece of this because it provides the awareness of what's going on. Um, and then we can choose our response utilizing the tools that we have. So maybe it's um, maybe we notice that uh, it's our emotions. It's something to do with our emotions that um, is is the issue. And we need to figure out, okay, how can we best combat that in, in terms of my emotions? Okay, what do I need? What, what is important right now for me? Or maybe it's um, something to do with the thoughts, the way that we're framing a situation. Um, maybe it's something to do with our bodies. And we, we notice, hey, I haven't been feeling great the past couple of weeks. Why is that? Okay, maybe, and, and being able to be aware of, of those feelings, or we, um, you know, we, we can never really act on it and make that change that's needed. Maybe it's something to do with our diet or our sleep or certain behaviors we're engaged in. Maybe we're um, experiencing too much stress on a day-to-day basis and we have to make that change. But we can't make that change until we're aware of, of the issue, until we can notice that there's an issue going on, until we notice, hey, I've, um, my sleep patterns have been out of whack and I, I feel I'm noticing that I'm feeling groggy all day for the past month. Okay. How can we respond? We're not just going to react and lash out at our, the people around us based on being 
tired and exhausted and stressed out. Um, but can we form a response in order for us to make changes in our lives to, um, to be healthier, to be the type, to be able to, um, you know, be the type of person that we want to be and to respond on a moment to moment basis in, um, in a way that is consistent with our character and, and the person that we want to be. Um, so I, yeah, that's, so, so to me, being able to respond and to not be broken by these moments. And I, I love that, that you're bringing up that um, the 30 for 30. I think that's, um, I, I, th- I think that's a, a just a phenomenal perspective in terms of somebody who's, you know, at the absolute top of his field and okay, how does he view the situation? How does he view how we want to be, um, what our mindset is. And I think water is, you know, is a, is a great way to view that as, okay, we're not going to be, we're not going to be adding to the situation by reacting. We're not going to make the situation worse, but we're going to be responding in an appropriate way. And having the, having these skills, these mindfulness skills makes it possible so that we can um, view things as they are, view things non-judgmentally and, choose our response in that moment i think the other thing about water josh and anybody who's had uh, like water damage in their house knows this water is relentless yes right it finds spaces it, it keeps like we said keeps moving forward and relentless i think is a great adjective to associate with yourself as a competitor wouldn't you like to be called relentless you know when we think about a, a pro tennis player who's often referred to that way, it's, it's Rafael Nadal. And, and why is that? It's because he seems to be able to bring his best every single point regardless of the score. As his opponent, you, you feel like you never get a break. You never get a free point. You never get a free moment to relax. And that's what water is. And, you know, or at least one of the qualities of it, right? And so I think that that's something that we could all try to incorporate more so as maybe motivation to, to get into this. I, I think um, while we can talk a lot about the benefits of, you know, being more mindful, I think one of the things that we can encourage people to do is, is to try it and um, try to incorporate it into their lives and see what they notice. Um, you may not notice anything. You may not notice anything for several months. It's sort of similar in a way to when we say we're striving for 1% improvements on a daily basis. Well, you're probably not going to notice anything from Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday. But how about from you know today in January to June? Yep. Might there be a difference of how you feel, of perspective, of uh, emotional control, all, all these other things? Um, it's that cumulative effect, that compound effect of, you know, good daily habits like this. Um, so I'm curious, Josh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about sort of maybe off the court training, kind of a little bit on maybe what would happen in you know, in between points. But um, have you tried getting players to be more mindful on the court? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I have, and I would say a, a big piece of that is that that time that we spend in between points, um, whether it's something like feeling the ground beneath our feet 
whether it's something like feeling our strings and uh, fiddling with our strings and uh, almost perfecting them in between points, as you see a lot of players doing and getting um, honed into that tactile sense of touch and, and being aware of that rather than being lost in thought about the previous point, but coming back to that over and over again. Um, so I, I think that in between points is a great time to do that. Um, also coming back to the breath, um, which is, as we've talked about, is a great way to get back into that present moment. Um, so I think utilizing the breath, utilizing that sense of touch um, in between points is a great way to do it. Um, you've even, we've, we've talked about Eva Sviantek, um, the, uh, the 2020 Roland Garros champion and how she was seen meditating at a number of points, um, in between, during changeovers, um, during her, uh, French open title run. Yeah. And as Arenka too, right. Do yeah. eyes are closed or yeah, that type of thing. That's good. Absolutely. And you even see players with the towel over there. Um, face at times um, and other sports we've seen uh, LeBron James meditating, um, you know, right before games. Um, I know Djokovic and uh, Bianca Andreescu are, are both uh, big advocates for it as well, but um, being able to find, find times, whether it's before a match, whether it's during a changeover, whether it's even in between points, just for a second or two to utilize the breath to get into the present moment um, to notice what's going on in this moment around us, within us, um, so that we can choose that response so that we can move forward in the, in the best possible way. Um, so to me, in terms of how that can be trained on court, um, it starts with that in-between point routine, um, in terms of incorporating certain aspects of the breath, in terms of also of the tactile, um, touch, and then also, um, as we're as we're training, um, actually noticing the ball as and, and that feeling of the ball as we make contact with it. And I think this is an often overlooked piece of tennis training and, and just of um, tennis in general that we are constantly making contact with the ball every every few seconds, uh, hopefully. Um, so can we can we notice it? Can we actually feel that each time um, if we're it's, it's very tough, and this isn't something we've talked about too much, but it's very tough, even impossible, to be thinking of two things at once, to place our focus on two separate things. So if our thoughts and our attention is on the ball and feeling the ball as we're making contact with our strings on the ball, then we're not thinking about all of these other things with our, with our strokes. I often find with tennis players – they are so lost in thought on some of the technical aspects of the strokes that it, it becomes very difficult to actually perform the stroke itself. Um, it's often referred to as paralysis by analysis, but somebody is thinking about hitting their serve, let's say, and they're thinking, okay, I have to do this with my knees and this with my elbow and this with my shoulder. And I have to start my swing here. I have to do this with my toss and I have to toss it from this part. I have to do this and this and this and this. And they're thinking so many different things that when they go to actually toss the ball up and hit the serve, it's a complete disaster. Um, but what mindfulness can do and what being able to place our attention on one specific thing can do is it can help to clear that mind. Um, we've, we have referenced that conversation with Sean Brawley and this, uh, this drill bounce hit. And in, in addition to some of these other benefits like tracking and watching the ball, what we've talked about is, 
of the utmost importance. Um, what it also does is it helps to clear the mind and it helps to redirect your thoughts and your attention on the most important thing, the ball, but it clears your mind from all this other, not, not that it's nonsense because it's, it's important information, technical information, but we don't want to be thinking about where our elbow needs to be and our weight and our positioning and all these different things as we're about to make contact with the ball. We want to be watching the ball and focusing on that most important thing. So um, what we can do is to redirect our thoughts onto something critical like the ball, like a certain cue word so that we're not lost in thought on a million different things as we're about to perform a certain shot we're thinking about one thing. Yeah, I like that. And I guess I have some other thoughts about how we could, you know, when we're on the court, help out with that that cultivation of mindfulness. You know, one goes back to um, Jorge Capistani, but I'm reminded of a story about, um, and we might have told this in a different episode about um, former University of Tennessee women's basketball coach Pat Summit, who had a special whistle that she would blow. It was, it was called the, the, the wind whistle or what's important now whistle. She'd blow it and point at a player. And they would have to immediately respond with what's important now. Um, and that brings you right into the present moment. It also lets you know, the coach know what your state of mind is. Yeah. And so you know, practicing that, even as a coach, you could be, let's say, behind the court. Your player is playing a practice match. And right you know, as a point ends, you can say, all right, okay, what's important now? And just really see how they react to that. They may struggle at first to under, they may be about that last point or something else, like you said, that, that could happen. Um, so I think that's, that's uh, an interesting exercise that we could do on the court with players. Um, this book, uh, Mindful Sport Performance Enhancement, uh, was a mental training book that came out a couple years ago. Um, it was not tennis specific, but it talked about, um, doing what they called sport yoga. And it could be as easy as like, you know, Josh, you and I could run a little yoga class on court, get players lined up maybe in some in rows. And we simply lead them through some motions of like shadowing their strokes and asking them to feel almost the kinesthetics mm -hmm. of it. We may, as you said earlier, bring their attention to how their feet are feeling. Right, so we're not necessarily hitting or playing, but we're we're going through the motions of tennis and noticing some of those kinesthetics more, noticing maybe how we breathe, maybe what we're seeing, what we're feeling with our feet. So that that's an interesting um, thing to try. And then um, a USPTA professional and sports psychologist, Peter Scales, in his book Mental and Emotional Training for Tennis, talks about a really easy one, especially when you're not feeling great. Take the tennis ball and just smell it. And it really brings it right back to the moment. And most of us have a positive, I would say, uh, connotation with the smell of a tennis ball. We all kind of like how that smells when they first come out. Um, and that can maybe also bring it back to uh, resetting your perspective. They, this should be fun. I like that, right? Um, and I think that's a great mindful trick to try with a player. You see somebody struggling out there. Hey, smell that tennis ball. <laughs> All right, kind of maybe brings back some good memories, right? Because I think smell is one of those senses that really can trigger mm -hmm. trigger memories quite well. So, um, any thoughts on those um, techniques? I, I I really like the uh, the smelling of the tennis ball one. That's one I I haven't 
utilize, but um, certainly will will incorporate um, because I think yes, I, I, as you said, smell is very linked to memory um, and is is a great way to get back into you know right the the now the here and now of things. Yeah. Um, and we talk a lot about using the breath and breathing in through the nose and out through out through the mouth. And if we're inhaling through our nose and we're we have a very distinct smell of a tennis ball, um, that that's going to trigger something that's going to get us away from thinking about whatever we were just thinking about. And we will be to, to some extent engulfed in, in that, in that sensation. Um, so I think that's a great way to sort of refocus and to, to shift our attention and focus onto, onto, onto something else. So I think that's, um, I, I love that technique. Yeah. I thought that was actually pretty cool. For me, this is a, sort of a little bit unrelated to it, but the, the, it brings me back to, and you probably don't have this memory, Josh, but when I was a kid, tennis balls came in metal cans. And so it kind of held the smell better. Like you could actually just even smell the can. And it was sort of, a, I would say, maybe even sort of a pre-water bottle era. So we often used those metal cans as our water bottles. You know, probably terrible for whatever we were doing <laughs> at the time, but the water did taste a little different. But uh, even still, it was uh, it was a useful thing. So um, get the get the taste the the taste uh, the sense taste of taste and smell. Yeah, which we haven't all. haven't talked enough maybe a lot about. But uh, that's that's a uh, yeah m- maybe a sense that we don't think about as much in terms of um, getting into the moment. But I think that's that's a way where that's that's going to be a taste you remember, um, and that that's um, also a way to. Hmm. That's, that's, that's an interesting, that's um, going to strike some curiosity and to shift your focus from, you know, if you're drinking from that, that uh, makeshift water bottle on a changeover, um, you're not going to be thinking about that last game. It's going to bring you back into the now of, of what, what you're experiencing in, in this moment. Yeah. And you mentioned mindful eating before, but that like during your changeover, you could just be a little bit more mindful of what you are drinking. Yeah. Yep. Maybe even just feeling sort of the cold liquid going down into you or just the taste of it or, or whatever whatever that is. So I think there are probably lots of ways that we can think as coaches and sports psych professionals about how we become more practical in our you know sport environment teaching. Because I think it's, it's one thing to be teaching it off the court, but it's, I think we also want to help athletes and players um, develop those senses while they're competing. That's actually the really, the really hard part. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, are there other thoughts that you had, Josh, with respect to, to mindfulness that we should, we should tell the listeners about? Um, I would say just to, um, you know, if, if certain people haven't utilized, um, if this is a new concept or this is something maybe you've heard of before and have you know, been interested to, to try it, or maybe you've been turned off from this for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, I know that this can be sort of a, a buzzword and, oh, we've got to be more mindful as a society, um, things like that without really getting into a specific start, you know, start slow, start where you are. Um, don't try to, you know, find the, the 45 minute transcendental meditation recording on YouTube and think that we're going to, you're going to start there and then that's going to be your, your entry point, but start, Start with a minute, start with three minutes or five minutes and have that experience and say, okay, how, how was that? How do I feel right now after 
after that, do I, do I feel better in any way? Do I feel more relaxed? Do I feel more at ease? Do I feel more um, aware and clear headed of everything that's in front of me today? Um, I think the morning time is often a good, good time to, to do this before all the craziness of the day has set in. Um, doing this first thing in the morning can often be effective, but I would, I would um, leave, leave our listeners with this concept that we don't need to start too big. We want to start slow. We want to learn this practice in a, in a manageable way. We want to start, start small and start with where we're at and that this truly can be helpful for anybody um, in sort of any, in any sort of performance, um, including tennis players, because it being aware of what's going on in the moment is, is the key to, to responding in, in the way that, that we choose um, rather than just being impulsive and um, reacting in, in the, the first possible way that, that crosses our mind um, based on whatever has been ingrained throughout the years. So um, I would say start where you are, start slow and, uh, and enjoy it. Enjoy it. I think uh, viewing it also as not something that we have to do is, oh, I, I have to, I'm supposed to meditate every day because I, I know it's supposed to be good for me and yada, yada. But hey, this is something I enjoy. I'll try to do it regularly. It would be great if I do it regularly, but sort of taking that pressure off of ourselves that we have to, we're supposed to do it every day. And hey, let's, let's try to do it as much as possible. I want to do, I want to meditate because I know that it's helpful for me in a number of ways. And um, let's, let's make it happen. So sort of shifting our perspective on it to something that we want to do rather than something we should do, or someone told us is, is helpful, but having it be something that we want to find the time for and find a way to build into our routine and schedule as much as possible. So how did you get introduced to it, Josh? Like, you know, how old were you? And, and maybe since that time, what have you noticed that maybe is different? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, for me, it, it really started in college. Um, I think I'd heard of some of these apps that were out there, Calm and Headspace. Um, I actually did a little bit of a mindful eating, a little mini mini course, um, where it was a, a few different sessions. And uh, we, you know, we were had different tasks. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, eating a meal together, um, while discussing some of these topics, I think one, one of the, um, sessions included a chocolate chip and a grape and just simply noticing how we go about eating these items, whether it be, um, the chewing or noticing the texture or the smell before we eat it. Um, so that was sort of my gateway into, into this topic a little bit. Um, and then when I was doing my master's program in um, sport and exercise psychology, started to learn more about this topic, became started um, utilizing it um, on a more consistent basis, I would say. Um, and then in the years since, um, from, from, reading, um, from reading about it, um, books like The Mindful Athlete, um, trying to build it into my daily routine. And as I've talked about there, there have been times where I, it's been on a daily basis. There's been times where I have, have stopped. There's been times where it's been more sporadic, but um, yeah. In, in the years since, you know, building it into my daily routine, as well as um, utilizing it with teams I've worked with, with, uh, with athletes I've worked with as well um, with friends um, doing it together with people 
Um, so I, I would say for me, it's been sort of a gradual process over the last six or seven years. Um, but certainly something that I um, intend to, you know, can continue with and want to continue to build into more of my routine. And uh, frankly, one of the reasons I um, I'm fascinated by why it can be challenging for people to do on a consistent basis once they've tried it and once they have recognized the benefits is for personal reasons, because that's, that's me. I have noticed the benefits. I always, whenever I do it, whether I feel distracted on that particular day or whether I feel less distracted and more in the moment and more able to go through the 10, 15 minutes straight through, um, for whatever reason, I have a tough time building that into my routine on a daily basis, though I strive to. Um, so for me, it's a, it's that process, um, of how can we, how can I incorporate this more into my life on a, on a day-to-day basis? Um, and that, that sort of curiosity for why it can be challenging to, um, to build it in, um, though I do strive to, uh, make it more and more a part of my life. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. I think, um, my story is somewhat similar. Yeah. I was introduced to it, uh, in a course I took over the summer in 2010 from the University of Pennsylvania, so Foundations of Positive Psychology course. Um, and just as maybe a, an aside, I love positive psychology. For those of you who are not familiar with it, it's really more about um, not necessarily just being happy because it's sort of how it's sold sometimes, but it's really looking at helping people uh, you know, increase their, their well-being overall. And that could be helping them to live a more meaningful and fulfilling life, certainly being happy and more hopeful is a part of that. Um, and so I, I like a lot of that those aspects because they're sort of more on the positive scale of, of increasing our psychological strength, right? And and so mindfulness is, is a key component of that. And um, similar to you, you know, while I was doing my master's, um, I chose a lot of positive psychology electives, so got a lot more into it. Um, and actually did a project um, one summer. The idea, the project was to make me happier based on this thing called the Oxford uh, Happiness Scale. And uh, what I chose as a project was savoring, you know, which is kind of like being more mindful. The idea was to slow things down and savor where you were and have a project around that. And that actually really, really helped my happiness scores. Um generally a happy guy as it is. So, you know, it just got a little bit happier, but, um, yeah. And, and, you know, today I think similar to you, uh, I, I go through periods of, I have good, um, practice with, uh, being mindful and, and, and meditating, but I do feel like I'm pretty good daily at taking a moment to, to notice something, to notice where I am. So even if I don't do meditation, I don't feel bad. Because I feel like I've cultivated the skill of to to have some of that present awareness, which I think is 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 really important. Um, and so it can it can be that simple. But um, I think you know the reason we chose today's topic is uh, we've both felt really good aspects of it. We've both felt positive aspects of it on the tennis court. You know, I think that that's something I have found myself becoming less you know, uh, negative emotionally on the tennis court, you know, reacting to that, being much better at responding to things as, as a result of this, as a result of 
um, developing my noticing skills of what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and not being attached to that. I, I would say that also applies to the rest of my life. You know, so for example, I, when I was younger, I was probably the type of person who would um, get a little bit frustrated on the highways when I drive. Um, but that doesn't happen anymore. And we didn't talk about this type of meditation, Josh, and I don't know if you've done this, um, but loving kindness meditation, mm-hmm. you know, sort of where you're, as part of the meditation, you're wishing yourself well, wishing yourself a, a life of, you know, free of pain or stress or anxiety. And then you start to think about some of the other people in your life. And then maybe you start to think of some of the more difficult people in your life and you're wishing them the same thing. And I think it really helps you understand that, in general, people in the world are, are doing the best that they can, given their story. And it may not be the best that you can do. It may not be the best that sort of some ideal person could do. But it's the best that that person can do. And the, I think the more that we get in touch with that, um, the more that we understand that other people are, in many ways, just like us. You know, for example... You know, I, I could get mad at that person who cut me off on the highway, but haven't I cut off somebody on the highway by mistake once? So in essence, that person's just like me. We don't have to take things personally. So I think those those have been some, for me, positive aspects of becoming more mindful and different types of meditation in, in my own life. And that certainly translates into a competitive aspect. Yeah, that, that actually reminded me of a... Uh... A great speech. One of my, one of my favorite speeches. Um, it's called "This Is Water." Maybe uh, some of our listeners have have heard it before by by David Foster Wallace. Um, I think it was the Kenyan commencement, and he talks about how um, you know we're we're able to how how are we going to view the situation? Somebody cuts us off on the highway, or um, you know we're we're waiting in line in the grocery store, and that that monotony, and that you know we're, we're getting impatient. But can we? sort of shift our perspective in this moment um, where somebody makes a mistake, right? Are we, do we, are we reacting with anger in that moment? Or are we thinking, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe they're working a really long day here. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they have, you know, a lot going on in their lives right now. Um, I think, especially in this moment, um, you know, as we're recording this, it's January, 2021. We're still in the middle of this global pandemic. And I think people are, um, by and large, having you know a, a tougher time. I think it's I think it's been a challenging time in a lot of people's lives. Um, so being able to keep that in mind as we interact with people, as we see that guy that that person cut us off on the highway, or that cashier who makes the mistake, or whatever it is, can we react? Sorry, can we respond in a way that we want that we that we choose and that we'll ultimately be proud of? Um, rather than being impulsive and just lashing out um, out of anger and, and honking the co- the horn and flipping the person off or, or um, you know berating the cashier or, or whatever it is, but do we have the presence of mind? Are we able to pause in that moment, take a breath, maybe notice what's going on, you know, take in the moment and choose choose that response and slow things down a little bit. Um, and I think that's, you know, when it comes to mindfulness, when it comes to um, this entire topic, I think that's really what's what's important here, being able to um, not just, I know we've, we've gone back to this time and time again, not just 
um, be reactive, right? But but being able to um, have that choice in terms of you know after the stimulus takes place, what what is our response going to be? How how are we going to behave in that moment? Um, so I, I think uh, you know as we go about our day to day lives, um, we want to strive to be able to, to do that, to have that skill and slow things down, have that perspective of everybody around us and um, wishing them well and recognizing that you know, they're going through a lot too and that we want to respond in ways that um, you know, are, are best, for, best for everybody. I know this is a little bit off topic from our, our general conversations, but, but it's, I think it's an important point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like you said earlier, it's, you know, can we act in such a way that we can feel proud of, right. That supports the core values that we say that we, we, you know, uh, try to adhere to and are part of who we are. Right. I think that's actually a really good way to end Josh. I think it's been a really fascinating discussion on mindfulness. Um, so I hope our listeners enjoyed it. So that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. For more on today's show, please check out our show notes. Any questions or feedback that you have, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to get your feedback and questions. You can also use the Twitter hashtag TennisIQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, which includes YouTube. So you can be notified of new episodes when we upload those. You can also check out our Instagram account, Tennis IQ Podcast, where we put notifications of our latest episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.